All right. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a good new year. Uh, couldn't have much better weather for January, right? So thank God for that. Starting a new series. Good Sunday to be here uh, as we start. Uh, notice it's titled, Me and My Big Mouth, not my spouse and her big mouth, or his big mouth, or my kids and their big mouth, or my parents and their big mouth, or my boss and his big mouth. It's me and my big mouth. Uh, you've often heard me say this, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. If your relationships are good and I ask you how life's going, you're probably going to say, pretty good, I'm feeling good, uh, even though you might be having some other issues. If your relationships are bad, you can have all the money in the world, you can have all the stuff in the world. If your relationships are bad, your life's just not good, is it? So one of the big quali- uh, determining factors about quality of life is what? Communication. Talking. We have to use this mouth to communicate. And so we're going to try and help you with that uh, through this series. And uh, these principles, uh, for the most part, are applicable for everyone. So if you're not a Jesus follower, as always, you're especially welcome here. And uh, we truly believe this will help you and make make all our lives better. So we're going to start with something. If you're a Bible person or a church person, you might recognize And uh, we're going to do a little exercise with this phrase. Here it is. Quick to listen and slow to speak. So when I say quick, you're supposed to say to listen. When I say slow, you're supposed to say to speak. So everybody ready? Quick. Slow. Slow. Quick. All right. Now we're going to come back to this, so be ready. All right. Now, all of us want to be heard and understood when we're communicating. That's just natural. Why would we communicate if we didn't want to be heard and understood? So, one way to do that is be quick to listen and slow to speak. And if both parties in a relationship or a conversation or an argument would be quick to listen and slow to speak, you'd be more likely to be heard and understood. Because bottom line is we don't agree, always agree, do we? So on your screen, we may not agree, and we don't agree. We don't agree on everything. If we talked about the Bible enough, we would disagree about something in the Bible. Uh, we talk about sports. There's playoff games going on. Some people, you know, agree this team's the best, and others agree this team or this player or that player. P- politics, we don't want to go there, do we? Uh, people don't agree. We may not agree, and unfortunately what appears to be happening in our political system is the second part's not happening. But please listen to me. Whether it's about some issue in our relationship, whether it's some political issue or some theological issue. Now we're going to look at something a guy by the name of James wrote. And James had a really famous older brother. Who is James' famous older brother? Yeah, you can look a little slow this morning. Who's Jesus? James is Jesus' famous brother? Jesus, right? All right. Now, James is a, is a great argument for belief in, in Jesus as the, as the Messiah, the Son of God. Because all the time during Jesus' life, we have no indication he believed in, in Jesus. He's not recorded in the Gospels. And it makes sense. If your older brother told you, I'm the Messiah, I am God. What are you going to say? Right. Sure. I grew up with you. I know. Even though he must have had a pretty good childhood. Kind of a, you know, uh, listened to his parents better than most of us would have. 
but after the resurrection, in the early church, James rises to the place, maybe the leader, even above Peter in the early church. And there's a book about the early church in the Bible called Acts. And Acts 15, there's this kind of big conflict, church conflict. And both sides are trying to be listened to. And James gets up and says, supports Paul saying, you know, these Gentiles, people that aren't Jewish, don't have to become Jewish to become a Jesus follower. He said, we shouldn't make it difficult, because that would be difficult. We shouldn't make it difficult for people to believe. So we have a letter, short letter that James wrote, and actually we're going to, two of these four weeks, we're going to look at something James wrote about uh, our tongues. But unfortunately, James, eventually uh, the Jewish authorities were able to get him arrested and, and stoned, and he actually died for his faith. Um, and somebody reminded me this morning, can you imagine the reunion of James and Jesus when he gets to heaven? What's the first thing James is going to say to Jesus? Uh, sorry I didn't believe you, bro, right? <laughs> because you proved to be who you were. So, James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, he says this. Understand this. Pay attention to this. Some translations say post this. All right? On Facebook, we do it now, right? Or some other social media. My dear brothers and sisters, first and foremost, he's talking to other believers, but these principles apply to to all people and all relationships. He says, you must be quick to what? And slow to do what? Speak. All right. So, in a conversation, in a relationship, what should you and I do first is listen, even though what we want to do is what? We want to get our point across. And a good reminder is the golden rule. The golden rule says basically... <clears throat> Treat other people the way you want them to treat you. So do you want people to listen to you? Yes. So you listen to them. This slow to speak actually means to be late. So it's like when I cue you all and you're late <laughs> to respond. All right. Don't, he says, it's a good thing to be slow. So don't slow to respond. Most of the time we want to respond, don't we? We want to push back. And he says, no, be slow. <clears throat> Be late. Um, sometimes more appropriate to speak than other times. This guy from a church down south came up north and visiting a church. And uh, pastor said something he really liked. He said, amen. And people kind of looked around at him because that wasn't something that normally happened in that, in that church. And said something else. And he says, amen again. And so the pastor points to an usher. And the usher goes over to this guy and says, shh. And he said, well, I got, I got religion. And the usher said back to him, but you didn't get it here. <laughs> well, hopefully you get religion here or, or, or spirit, the spirit here. Point being, there are certain times more appropriate to speak than others. So how do you do that? How are you quick to listen and slow to speak? Now, here's a suggestion, a way to help you might do that, is to be curious and ask questions. Now, it's the last thing you want to do because you want to get your point across. And if you ask questions, they're going to talk longer than you are, right? Or, or longer. <clears throat> but why would you be curious and ask questions? Well, because that's one way to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And many of us are parents or have been, are, continue to be parents. And uh, parenting is a difficult thing. Communicating with your kids, especially when they get to be teenagers because they have their own opinions about everything and so forth. So what would your parenting look like if you would 
adopt this approach? And what would your teenager's relationship with you look like if they would adopt this approach? If they would be curious and ask you questions, what, what, and you don't give them the answer because I said so. Parents, that's not a good answer, right? Because I said so. <clears throat> but ask questions. And consequently, you get to understand the other person. We're going to talk about understanding a little bit more in a, a few minutes. We certainly would need to apologize less, wouldn't we, for things we said if we were quick to listen and slow to speak. We wouldn't put our foot in our mouth so many times. Uh, on the screen, next, don't settle for being right. Now, that's my, normally my goal, right? I want to be right, and I want to prove to you that I'm right, and you're wrong, and uh, I tend to have a, a driven personality. I want to win, so uh, consequently, I, I'm going to strive to do that. Many of you are the same way. But that shouldn't be our bottom line, to be right. It should be to make things right. <clears throat> you can, you know, run your kids out the door of your home by being right. You can. You're right, and they leave. You may have lost a spouse uh, to divorce because you were right, but they left. I say it this often to people. Is it a hill worth dying on? Is it an issue worth ending the relationship? Or damaging the relationship. So maybe you're right. More important is to make things right, to improve the relationship. So he goes on. He says, You must be quick to listen and slow to speak, and also slow to get angry. Now, anger is both a result and a decision. And you say, No, I can't control my anger. I, yes, it's a decision. And we all have proven it when we're angry and the phone rings. How do you answer? Hello. So you can control it. So it's a decision, but it's also a result. Uh, what's that, count to 10 before you get angry type thing? Well, count to 10 before you, before you speak. Listen quickly, slow to speak. Because anger never... <laughs> Makes a relationship better, does it? It's a, a bad component of relationships. Now, we all express anger differently. Some of us are yellers and scream it out. Others are more internal, internalize it, go around getting mopey and so forth. And your spouse or whoever asks you, uh, is everything okay? And you say, yeah. What? what do you say? Fine. Well, tone is another part of communication, right? <clears throat> And so whether it's passive-aggressive, whatever it is, we all get angry. And when we talk about anger, and we're, in this case, we're talking about what I call selfish anger. It's anger about when you have been, or thought you've been wronged or not heard or whatever. There is a righteous anger, an anger about injustice in the world. And I came across a horrible statistic this week. I don't know how they estimate these things, but they estimated that 42 million abortions were performed this past year in the world. 42 million children that could have been born weren't born. That should make you angry. It makes me angry. But here we're talking about selfish anger. When I've been hurt, when somebody's wronged me, whatever. That anger is destructive. I'll put a definition uh, on the screen. Drawing hasty, misinformed, and relationally destructive conclusions. You know, I jump to conclusion, uh, I don't have all the information, 
And obviously it's relationally destructive. So if we listen more, we would learn more. We'd have more information. Consequently, we could be, should, should be less angry. Now here's an important principle to remember when you're in any relationship with another person. Everything a person does on the screen, everything a person does makes sense to them. They wouldn't do it, right? Everything a person says makes sense to them, or they wouldn't say it. Everything a person believes makes sense to them, or they wouldn't believe it. Now, we've all seen people do stuff or say stuff and say, why? How could they do that? Why would they do that? That's the wrong attitude. We need to say, okay, they must have a reason for doing this, saying this, or believing this. So we go back to our question. We'll ask, well, why do you believe that? This is really important when we're dealing with people. If you're a Jesus follower, dealing with a person that's not a Jesus follower. Because they think we're intolerant. And so, best thing I can do is say, hey, I'm interested in what you believe. Why do you believe this? Why don't you believe this? Let's have a conversation. Besides, have you ever changed your mind on, on a topic or a subject? Anybody? Yeah. Even as I, there are some things I've said in my earlier in my ministry, <laughs> standing up in front of people that I believe the opposite now. Uh, claim God's grace on that one, but um, we change. So, how did that change? Well, we listened to, got better information, more information. <clears throat> so everything a person does say or believe makes sense to them. So, okay, let me try and figure out why they've done what they've done, uh, why they believe what they believe, why they said what they said, rather than become uh, defensive. Stephen Covey, I don't know how many are familiar with him, he's kind of a leadership guy or was, and probably his most famous book is titled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I want to share with you habit number five in the, of the seven, because it fits in with what we're talking about this morning. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Now my goal normally is to try and get you to, you know, understand me. But first seek to understand the other person then seek to be understood. Um, when we don't know, what we don't know about people is, is significant. Uh, when we get to know somebody's story, their background, their upbringing, whatever, um, often instead of having, I can't believe they did that, my attitude, wow, man, I'd be a bigger mess if, if my background was like that person's background. So you be, once you begin to know the story, you begin to understand uh, that person, what they believe, what they're doing, where they're coming from, why it makes sense to them. Now, often when we're in a conversation and we're listening, our goal is just listen long enough so that we can reply or we can argue and get our point across, right? So I put it on the screen. When you, we're listening to reply rather than understand, when we're, when we're listening, try and get our point across or try, instead of listening to the other person's point, you don't learn anything. Most people know who Larry King is, talk show host. He said this, when I'm talking, I never learn anything. So if you're watching his show, he doesn't talk the most, does he? The other people talk, and he's trying to learn. Now, we all go through life with a filter. My filter is all my past experience, the family I grew, grew up in, where I went to school, you know, the relationships I've had, uh, jobs I've had, all that is my filter. So I look through life from my filter. My filter is different than everybody else's filter. 
So I got to be careful that when I'm listening, it's not to reply from my filter, but to understand so I can learn. What about Jesus? Why do people flock to Jesus? I think one of the reasons, there are lots of reasons, but one of the big reasons they flocked to Jesus is because I believe they felt he understood. And I often wondered why Jesus waited 30 years before he started his ministry, and his ministry is only three plus years. And a big part of that is, I believe, he experienced life. You know, he got a job. He grew up as a teenager. He went to school. He got a job. He experienced grief. His, evidently, his father died before he was 30. Joseph's not mentioned after uh, in the Gospels, uh, after Jesus had grown. So he experienced life. He knew what life was about. He had the challenges, and he worked hard, and so forth. So consequently, when he was 30 years old, he went out and started talking to people. He understood where they were coming from because he had experienced life like they had. So <clears throat> James says, be quick to what? A little slow. Quick to what? Listen. Slow to speak. Okay. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. <clears throat> That's great. That could be very helpful for us. But then he goes on, and bigger, better things, if you will. He says, human anger, or that selfish anger, does not produce the righteousness God desires or the rightness that God desires. <clears throat> so when I get angry because I don't get my way, when you're not listening to me or you're not believing what I'm saying or you, you've got an opposite opinion, that's selfish. So from a Jesus follower's perspective, in a conversation like that, there's always three agendas. My agenda, your agenda, and what James is telling us is God has an agenda. Three agendas. And when I'm trying to promote my agenda, that's the wrong right. My rightness is the wrong rightness. Your rightness is the wrong rightness. God's rightness or God's righteousness is the right, right we should be striving for. Um, on the screen, you want to be right at each other. I want to be right at you. But God wants you to be right with one another. What are you saying? The relationship's more important than the issue. Most of you have heard me say this before. If I'm in an argument with my wife and I win the argument, what have I won? Well, I won the argument, I guess. But I've lost in the relationship. You know, my wife and I are one. If she loses, I'm losing too, right? So we, we want to be right. But God wants to be right with one another. So... Quick to what? Slow to what? Speak. An old black preacher said this, God doesn't take sides or come to take sides. He comes to take over. So if you're a Jesus follower, what, we should only have one agenda, right? Because God has taken over our lives. It reminded me of something I said last week, so I'll just touch on that real quickly. Jesus boiled everything down to one thing. And he said, this is a new commandment I give to you. Here it is. And it applies to our mouths, right? I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Love with our actions, love with our mouths. 
only speak that's what, what God's rightness, what God we consider right. So back to Jesus. Jesus didn't come to be right. Jesus was right. Jesus is always right. All right? So he didn't have to come at all to be right. Or he could have come and said, I'm right. Jesus didn't come to be right. He came to reconcile us to God and to one another. So why did he have to go to the Garden of Gethsemane? Why did he have to be tortured and crucified? Why did he have to do that? Not to be right. So that you and I can be reconciled. We, our relationship with God can be fixed. And consequently, when that relationship is fixed, it helps us fix our relationship with one another. So he says, make that a priority. <clears throat> Back to something we said earlier. If the two of you aren't right, it doesn't matter who's right. If the relationship is disrupted, it doesn't matter if, if the other person's right or you're right. Again, you've lost. You've lost in the relationship. So, quick to what? Slow to what? Speak. So then he goes on. James does. He says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in, in your lives. That get rid of means it's like taking a coat off. All right, so shed it, get rid of it. All the evil. Uh, he's referring to that self-rightness. Bible calls it self-righteousness. Now, who did Jesus have the most trouble with in his ministry? When you read the accounts of life of Jesus, was it the bad sinner type people like the prostitutes and tax collectors? Jesus have any trouble with them? No, nah, he didn't have problems with them. Who did he have problems with? Self-righteous people. So maybe the, the filth and the, the worst filth and evil in our lives is self-righteousness, not some uh, sinful act. Uh, that evil also refers to trying to get even. So is there an alternative? All right, that's what to get rid of. What should we be doing? He says, humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts as the power to save your souls. So it's in a receiving thing. You have to accept it. You have to receive it. Now, there's lots of different definitions of humility. I like this one. We'll put it on the screen. We are more important than me. It's easy to say, and it's kind of a nice way it rhymes, but a lot harder to do, isn't it? And we are more important than me. Then he says it saves your souls. Now, Technically, there is the relationship with God that gets saved. We enter in a relationship with God because of this. But it saves a lot of other things. I think it can save, save a marriage. It can save a parent-child relationship. Certainly save us a lot of regrets, right? Um, save a lot of things. Then he goes on. And he gives us this illustration. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. So we're supposed to be quick to listen but we listen for a purpose. So he says, don't just listen. You must do what it says. Or you're only fooling yourselves. This, Jesus tells a story about a, a dad that tells two, kids, two, two of his sons go out and work in the field. The one says, I'll go. The other says, he won't. The one that said he would didn't go. And the guy that said he won't does. And Jesus said, well, who did the will of the Father? Not the one that said it. It was the one that did it. So we're easily deceived. We deceive ourselves all the time. Someone's put it this way. This is a really hard question if you really want to answer. 
to ask somebody else, what does it look like to be on the other side of me? And be ready for a tough answer, right? So doing makes all the difference. Then he goes on. So if you listen to the word and don't do it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. The implication is that my hair is a mess, my face is dirty, whatever, and you don't do anything about it, right? You don't wash your face, you don't comb your hair, you don't do anything. That's the same thing as not doing what uh, you, you read or hear in the Word. But he says the opposite, the alternative is look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. Now, we talked about this. What is the purpose of the law? The law is to prove how sinful we are, how bad we are, how much of a mess we are, right? So what's he talking about? It also tells us we are slaves to sin. We're slaves to that lifestyle, doing bad stuff. We can't stop doing it. He said, but the perfect law sets you free. That's the law of Christ, that Christ died for us, except that gift of salvation. You're, you're forgiven and you are empowered. You're no longer a slave, you are free. You're free to do what you know to do and should do and want to do. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for not believing it, <laughs> not even hearing it, but doing it. Let me try and use this illustration to get this across. I don't know what your attitude about the Word of God is, but if you're contacted by a lawyer and it says, hey, some rich relative, you ha- I don't have any rich relatives, maybe you have a rich relative, let's pretend, I have a rich relative, and they die, and it's, I'm inviting you to the reading of the will because you are included. Now first, are you going to go? Absolutely. Are you going to listen to the reading? Yes, you are, with anticipation and excitement, right? And then when you read whatever you inherited, there's going to be a joy, a delight. So that's the way you and I should approach uh, the Word of God. Someone has said the way you can judge the effectiveness of your Bible reading, Bible listening, Bible study is, is, has it changed you? Has it affected your attitude? Has it affected your actions? Are you doing something differently? Pastor Clinton and I were talking about diet. He says, <laughs> we were just talking about doing the same thing, you're going to get the same results, right? So you need to do something differently. And then this is a kind of a hard one to, to swallow this next verse because most of us in here we consider ourselves religious or pious or holy or whatever term you want to use if you claim to be religious but don't control your son and none of us do that do we we'll talk about that in two weeks you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless or we might say powerless and James is going to tell us the tongue is like the last hurdle the greatest hardest thing to conquer So again, don't settle for being right. That shouldn't be our goal. But make sure you make things right. Of course, Jesus is our uh, perfect example, best example. He didn't settle for being right because he was right. He wanted to help us make things right with a holy God. So he suffered and died for us so that we could have a relationship with God. And he invited people to follow him. And he invites you to follow. And we'd invite you to follow if you're not, uh, haven't 
stuff across that line yet. Um, there's an old story or whatever it goes. If you're walking down the streets in New York <laughs> City and somebody asks you where Carnegie, how do you, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? What's the response? How many of you know? Practice. Anybody who does music would know the answer to that. The way to get to Carnegie Hall is to practice. So the way to be quick to what? And slow to what? Is to do what? Practice. All right. So that's your homework. See how I got that in there? <laughs> Here it is. Post James 1.19, or at least that short part of James 1.19, somewhere, so you can read it and pray it at least daily. I'm thinking the best place for me is the refrigerator. Because I go in there a dozen times a day. So I'll be doing a lot of praying. But anyway, that's your homework assignment. Because if you don't practice it, it certainly won't change you, will it? Let me pray with you. We'll have a song. Let you go. Father God, our first prayer would be for anybody here that hasn't stepped across that line, that haven't, haven't accepted that gift of salvation, hasn't received it. A gift is only valuable to a person once they receive it. Uh, help them understand that they're separated from God by their, by their sins or things they've done wrong, their mess-ups in their lives. And this is the only way to fix it. And of course, it's as easy as possible. Jesus did the hard part. But it's hard for us to humble ourselves, right, to accept gifts. This is the greatest gift. Jesus, we thank you that you provide that for us. And most of us here are Jesus followers. We thank you for that relationship we have uh, with our eternal God. But we all struggle with our tongues, with our mouths. And God, let's not focus on our spouse or our kids, but let's focus on us. Let us work on us. And so we do ask or pray that you would help us be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. In Jesus' name, amen.